0: Hallelujah! Hallelujah! All right, turn to your neighbour and say you look amazing today. Grab a seat. Thanks, worship team. I was just thinking, you know, as we sang that song as a as a dear uh, panther, actually that's a that's a psalm that we're singing, and if you find that psalm in the scriptures, I don't I don't know which one. It is, but I was just I, I, what I do know is it's a psalm of David when he was trapped in a place called En Gedi, hiding from Saul. And so when we were in Israel a couple of years ago, when we used to be able to travel back in the olden days, when we were there, we got to go to a place called En Gedi. And uh, one of, one of the things I remember is walking up. It was so hot; it was like forty degrees. We were climbing up into this valley, and the valley has a river, and it's in the middle of the, uh, the wilderness, literally, where well, there's nothing, it is, it is desert, yet the spring wells up. Friend, you might be in a desert, but I want to tell you there's a spring that can well up in your life, and, 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 and as we, we climbed up, we, we were able to see, it was such a hard climb, man, uh, but we were able to see the caves, and like just a whole hillside, and the valley was full of caves, and you can see, I, I can understand how David could have hidden uh, in this place and I can understand why Saul ended up being in the same valley because it was the only place where water was and if you look down the valley it works straight out onto the Dead Sea which of course you is basically salt water but one of the things that amazed me as we were uh, uh, driving or coming close to En uh, Gedi was on the, on the intersections and the roundabouts there were small deer called En deer and then just all those things locked in. No wonder he looked out, maybe on that day, who knows, out of the cave, and there he saw a deer. And said, "As that deer's panting for the water? So my soul longeth after you. I'd encourage anyone to go to Israel once we can when this is all over. And allow God to, 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 to minister, to see the Bible come alive. And the scriptures come alive, but that's just I just singing that song today just reminded me of that, that moment. Who am I? And don't do what someone else did in the last service say, You're Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I know who I am, <laughs> but who are you? No, go on. <coughs> who am I? You know, the truth is, this is one of life's. Big questions. It's a question, a big meaning of life question that people have been asking for millennia. Who am I? And last week, of course, we concluded the series God Is. And I've said when we understand who God is, it helps us better understand who we are, who you are in Him. It really does. And so today we begin a new series which I've called identity. And there's no doubt the topic of identity, I mean, it's something that, that, that uh, I guess over the years we've talked about, but I, I think the topic of identity right now is one of the hottest topics out there in the world today. There's no doubt that this topic, identity, is, is, is one that is generating uh, a much discussion, much debate, and, and for many of our young people, much confusion. So I approach this in, in humility, and I approach this with a, with a heavy heart, and I approach this carefully. But There's no doubt that for many of our young people, they struggle and are in confusion and are, are trying to, do, to, to find out who am I? And here 's the thing: people are not today just asking the question, "Who am I?" they 're asking the question, "What am I?" What am I?" And in today 's culture, there are, there are options there are options galore of who or what does one identify as, and we 're being, we're being told, even our very uh, our gender identity is fluid. A quick search on Google, you'll see that there are actually now 64 terms and it's ever-growing, 64 terms to choose from when one wishes to choose or describe who they are, their gender identity. And, of course, we live in, a, in an age and a day of identity politics with a focus on things like one's religious Identity. Or one of the major ones at the moment, one's race identity. Your, your race is the most important thing. Black lives matter. And there's battles going on. All lives matter. Whose lives matter? And so identity politics is, is coming through in every part of social media and so on. And fourth, identity politics, whether it's be our sexual identity, the LGBTQ. I think people are trying to discern and answer the question, who am I? Am I left or right? Am I socialist or capitalist? Am I conservative or liberal? Am I oppressed or am I the oppressor? all sprinkled with a little bit of cancel culture. And so there is no wonder that when it comes to one's identity that so many feel lost, so many of our young people feel scared and certainly confused. What I want to say is a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the anointed one, in this fluid, ever-changing environment of intersectionality, I have one unchanging source. One unchanging source that anchors my soul, that is not fluid, it is a firm foundation. And it provides a compass that gives me a a, a true north, which helps me determine my direction, which in turn determines my destiny. And that anchor and that compass is the word of God. The Bible says it's a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. See, all scripture is God breathed and is useful. That's why we should pick up our Bible. It's useful. It'll help you. It'll help you. I don't know what stuff you pick up, what stuff you read, but I would encourage you today. Pick up your Bible. It's useful. Yeah, that's right. It's useful for what? It's useful for, uh, for teaching me, it's useful for rebuking me. Right. Well, sometimes I need a rebuke. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a question needing an answer. For those watching online that was my wife saying yep <laughs> it's useful for teaching rebuking me correcting me and training me and what and righteousness so that i a servant of god so that you a servant of god may might be thoroughly equipped for every good work you see because it says that the word of god is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And listen, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Yeah. And so sometimes in our life when we're going, I don't know what direction to can I? Can I do this or can I do that? You have to understand what this is what the Word of God. It will judge the thoughts and attitudes and the desires and the, the things of yeah. your heart. And here's the thing if the word says something different to what I want to do, I don't change the word. I let the word change me. I let the word change me. Come on, this is a Pentecostal Jew. You're making me work for my pay this Sunday. Come on. (laughs) We don't change the word to fit us or what we want. We allow the word to change us. To judge us. And so as a Christ follower, when it comes to my identity and when it comes to your identity, let me say unequivocally, I am who God says I am. I am who God's word says I am. Well, I want to tell you, you are. You are who God's word says you are. You you are not who Hollywood says you are. You are not who social media says you are. You are not who other people say you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God's word says you are. And so as we begin this series on identity, who does God say you are? Well, it says you are, number one, made in his image. You might say, well, I've I've heard this before, but I want to tell you, it takes on a whole new meaning in these days and these times. You need to understand, you are made in his image. Not just you here, but everybody is made in the image of God. As we begin our last series, we begin this series in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the book of origins. That's what Genesis means. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus was approached by a pharisee and the teacher and a teacher teachers of the law and uh, they were trying to trap him and they asked him should we pay imperial taxes to caesar and jesus said bring me a coin and let me look at it let me look at a coin and so they brought him a coin and uh, jesus said whose image is on this coin and whose inscription they said caesar's Well, then Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Let me ask you today whose image is on you? Whose inscription? Whose fingerprint do you bear? Friend, I want to tell you, just as Jesus said, give me a coin and let me look at it. I want to carry Jesus is the word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We need to allow the word of God to look at our life and tell us who we are. Yeah. Whose inscription, whose image is on you? You are made in his Image. And and that's why, and that's why for most Christians, and I don't say all Christians because there are some Christians who think different things, but this is why most Christians believe that life is sacred. This is why most Christians believe that we as human beings have intrinsic value from the womb to the tomb. That life has value because here's the thing if you remove that if you remove god from your origin story if you remove god from our origin story mankind just becomes another animal another beast see in genesis in the genesis account we discover our true source remove god and we have nothing are nothing life means nothing Now, of course, one could ask the question: Is the creation account as found in Scripture literal or figurative? And of course, there are scholars on the theological ends of the spectrum who are effectively arguing for both. And you know, you have questions like: Is, is, is the earth is the earth old, or is the earth young? Which one is it? Is the earth you know millions of years old, or is it just? Just a a few thousand years, years old, which one is it? Is this reliable? For me, I I just want to answer the question and say, I don't know. Uh, But I also want to say, for me, it doesn't matter. Because the Bible allows for both. Just think about it, Genesis 1, verse 1. It says this in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When was that? I don't know. How long ago was that? I don't know. The earth was without form, it was it was void. It was. But in the beginning, whenever that was, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know at some stage he. Packed it out with some good stuff. But when was the beginning? I don't know. It was in the beginning. So I don't need to know that. But all I do know is that God did it. God did it. He's behind it. It doesn't give us a date. It doesn't give us a time. Just the fact that God did it. And that's what Genesis chapter 1 is trying to communicate. That we, you and I, find our origin in God. Remove that. And mankind becomes, like I said, just another animal. We have nothing. We are nothing. Life means nothing. And as Dawkins said in his book, The God Delusion, we are only dancing to the tune of our own DNA. Unless someone said, this is true. If man was not created by God and in God's image, he has no more inherent dignity than a donkey. The great writer A.W. Tozer said, Man's only claim to importance is that he was created in the divine image. In himself, he is nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so it is so important that you know and understand today that you are made in God's image. You are who God's word says you are. Tap your neighbor and say truth right there. See, reformer Martin Luther said this. He said, God does not love us because we're valuable. Hear this. God does not love us because we are valuable, but we are valuable because God loves us. You bear his image, you bear his inscription. If I took this $20 note and I screwed it up and I crushed it, if I threw it on the ground and trampled all over it, if eventually I dropped it in the gutter and it rained and the the filth of the the world crossed over it, The truth is, three days passed. if someone was walking past and they saw that $20 in the gutter, they would pick it up. Why? Not because of the paper, but because of the inscription that is on it. You see, the reality is it's still worth $20. Its value does not change. It's because of the inscription, because of the mark that is on it. Theologian Francis Schaeffer said this, man still stands in the image of God, twisted, broken, abnormal, but still an image bearer of God. And I wanted you to know today, my friend, that in life some of us have got screwed up and some of us have got crushed and some of us have been trampled on and some of us have had stuff happen in our lives that we never thought would happen. We thought it would always happen to somebody else. And you may even be sitting here today, screwed up, crushed, trampled on. You may even feel like your life is in the gutter and the filth of the world is washed over you. But I want you to know today, none of that changes your value. Your value is not dependent on your condition. Your value is not dependent on the position you have in life. God gives you value because you are made in his image and his inscription marks you. His inscription is on you. Your value is not determined by how others see you or how even you see yourself. But it's based on what God says about you. You bear his image and his inscription. And when you know your worth in him, no one can make you feel worthless. That's right. Bible says, number one, you are made in this image. Number two, you are unique. Psalm 139, verse 15, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. It goes on to say, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book. Again, from the womb to the tomb, you are unique. There is nobody else who who has ever lived and who will ever live who is like you. You are unique. No one else has a fingerprint like you. Even if you're an identical uh, uh, twin, uh, you you know, sometimes you can say they look exactly the same, but they're not. They have a different fingerprint. And of course, they might look the same to you, but their father knows them. And the Father knows your uniqueness. He knows you. He knows your gifts. He knows your talents. He made you your uniqueness. And again, maybe you've heard that before, but in these days and age where everything unique is sought to be crushed down and minimized and to be evened out, that no one can stick up or be above. That's not about the individual. It's about the group. It's all about what the group thing. Do you belong to this group? Are you on this side or on that side? We need to understand each one of us here is unique, made by God. Friend, I just want to tell you, it's not just that you're unique and you're special. Yes, that guy three rows back to the left, they're special too. They're unique. I, I want to tell you that person next to you, yep, they can annoy you sometimes, but they are unique. We are all unique, made in the image of God. Can somebody give him some praise in this? Out. We've got to stop the world crushing us down to make us all equal and, and even and, and, and as if someone gets hurt. The culture we live in today is trying to play down and mute uh, uh, in the name of inclusivity, individual uniqueness. Trying to squash it, just last week I saw an article in the Herald, it was on the news as well. An Australian leading university has encouraged staff to use parent-inclusive language such as chest feeding instead of breast feeding. And human milk rather, you can't make this stuff up. Human milk rather than mother's milk. Similarly, the terms mother and father should be replaced with gestational and non-gestational parent. Try and get your kids to say that. Go and ask your non-gestational parent. You can't make this stuff up. People say it's science-driven, but those who are opposed challenge and say this is not science-driven. This is ideology driving science. What is wrong with mummy and daddy? when you understand them as completely unique and, and, and divinely chosen and created for a unique purpose in God, why try and make everybody the same? Why try and bring everybody down instead of celebrating the uniqueness of who we are in him? I'm not meaning to be disrespectful to anyone. This is why I value freedom so much and what our fathers fought for, the freedom to be able to say what we think and think what we say. And to disagree when we can disagree and freely do so. But days are coming where you might not be able to say what you think. Be strong, church. We need to respect individuals God-given, uniqueness, and not try and dumb everything down, trying to make us all the same. You've got to understand you and the person sitting next to you is fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. Which leads me to point number three. You are sons, speaking of identity, you are sons and daughters of God. You are sons and daughters of God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And he uttered those words, our Father, who art in heaven, And know this today, if God be our Father, that makes us His children. In Romans 8 verse 15 it says, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom. I don't know. There's a good place to stop right there. He sent to buy freedom. How do you know? He who the son sets free is free indeed. Come on, give God some praise just for five seconds. Just thank him right now. He's bought your freedom. God has paid the price. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves. We were slaves. Slaves to the law. Here's why. So that he could adopt us. So he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, into your hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. And again, let's just remember what Abba means. It's a term of endearment. I don't say to my father, hello father, can you do this father? I say dad, Abba's like saying dad, dad, it's God saying to me, you can relate to me in a a different way, in a different tone. prompting us to call our Abba Father. And then it says, now, I don't know how it was, but now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. You may be here today and you go, how do we become children of God? How do we become children of God? Well, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, but to all... Who did receive him? I ask you today have you received him? Have you received him? Have you received Christ? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, do you believe? Here today, have you received him? Do you believe in him? And when I'm talking about belief, I'm not talking about ascension to a set of facts. I, I'm not talking about, yes, I believe. Listen, even the devil believes, it's not talking about just a mental ascent to a set of facts. Even the devil believes and trembles. No, this is not that kind of belief. This is not. This is not head knowledge information. This is heart knowledge transformation. This is a point where at some stage in your life where you get to and you start to say, I believe. And God begins to touch your heart and begins to touch your, your life. And, yes, and suddenly the, the, the information becomes a revelation and you begin to open up your heart and say, I think he's real. I can sense God touching me. I, I, I can sense God calling me to all who receive him, to those who believe. Have you received him? Do you believe in his name? He gave the right. Everyone's talking about their rights. Here's your right. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. I want to ask you today have you been born of God? I'm speaking to every man, woman, and child here today. Well, Pastor, I've been coming to church for years. Doesn't matter, I don't care. Have you been born of God? I come to every meeting, I don't care. I'm asking today, have you been born of God? See, Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. We don't use that word these days. Why? Because it became cheapened. It became just a thing that we're saying about, but nevertheless, it must be said. Jesus said, you must be born again, not of the flesh, but born of the Spirit Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born of the spirit. You must be born again. Born of God. 15th century renowned theologian and orator Thomas Hooker said this. He said the almighty power of God and the conversion of the sinner is the most mysterious of all the works of God. And I ask you today, have you encountered him? Have you been born again? See, I'm just saying this because you can read the book and you can never meet the author. You can know the book and not know the author. You can have truth without spirit. You can be educated without encounter. You must be born again born of the Spirit. This is what a Christ-centered conversion truly is. And I, I want to tell you, it should change you and rearrange your life. It's not like, I'm not talking about saying a little prayer at the end of the service. I'm talking about that Christ comes in and changes and rearranges and just messes up your life, reshapes you and makes you. And to that which He is calling you, to be. The great Billy Graham said the born again Christian sees life not as a blurred, confused, or meaningless mass, but as something planned and purposeful. You're not just saved from something, you're saved for something. I want to encourage you today, if you have not done so, I want to encourage you. To encounter the resurrected living Christ of the cross, that you might be born anew and be found in him, not having a righteousness of your own, but a righteousness that comes from God, that you might become a child of God. Throw yourself at the mercy of God. Forsake your sin and turn your life to him and say, God, I need to be born again. For me, that moment happened many years ago in a church where I, I wept. And God changed my life and turned my life around. Have you had an encounter with him? Have you been born again? Throw yourself at the mercy of God. Say, God, I need you. Change me. That we would be found in him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I thank you for every single person in here. Lord, today we once again afresh submit our life to you. We give it to you. We hand it over to you. Father, we submit ourselves to you. God, we thank you for your mercy, and we today forsake our sin and turn towards you. We today afresh give our lives to you. We thank you for the honor and privilege of being a child of God, not by anything that we have done, but by what you have done. And we receive that today. Change us. Rearrange us. Do what you want to do. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We surrender ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? I hope that was all right. But I just, I, again, I felt so heavily as I was preparing this message like I haven't felt. You must be born again. Coming to church will not save you. This is just where we gather. Give your life to Christ. Bow your knee. Speak with your mouth and say, Jesus, change me. Do it at your bedside. Do it at your workplace. Do it wherever. And allow this Christ to change your life forever. Put your hands out that I might speak a blessing of you. The Lord. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, peace. And everybody said, give a big clap off.